Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here with us. Um, you all did vote for Keith and Carol. Like it, was, it was unanimous. Every vote that was turned in last week was we want live announcements with Carol. And Keith gets to come along. So that's what you've got for now. If you need to turn in a different vote this week, you're always welcome to do that back in the back. But uh, I think if you vote no, you're outnumbered right now. Um, thank you all. It was fun. Emery leaned over and said, this is like a full-on comedy show. <laughs> so I know that um, most Sunday mornings we do something during this preaching, teaching time that is a little different um, than probably what typically happens most places during this time. And there's reasons why we're trying to do something different. Like, it's not just different to be different. And, and I know we've talked through those a lot, but I want to refresh us on those here in just a minute. And the reason I want to refresh on those is because today we're doing something different from different. Um, and you may think that's the same, but it's not. It's just more different. <laughs> and so, real quickly, there are three truths that we say just as you read throughout the whole Bible, I think that if, if you have your eyes open and kind of your, your, your radar is up for these, that you will see the Bible reinforcing these truths over and over and over. These aren't things that we've said, hey, these are some good ideas for you to keep in mind while you study the Bible. That, that is not the idea right here. Instead, we've said that these are truths that we believe are in the Bible itself about the Bible, and as we see them, the Bible is telling us the type of book it is, how we should understand it. The Bible's telling us how to best study it. And so real quickly, these three truths, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time this morning explaining them. I'm just going to run through them if you want to make a note of them and, and that you would just continue to look for them yourself in the Bible. The three kind of guiding truths for us are the Bible is a spiritual book. And what we're saying there is that God himself has inspired the Bible by his Holy Spirit, and for us to understand what he's inspired, the Spirit has to be at work in our hearts and minds, helping us understand beyond just a basic human intellectual level, on a deeper spiritual level, the things that God is saying about himself and saying to us. So the Bible has a spiritual source, spiritual purposes, spiritual power, and we need the Spirit of God to be at work in us for us to understand and encounter God in that way. So the Bible is a spiritual book. The Bible is one connected story, that it's not a collection of a bunch of little stories, and it's not a bunch of individual disconnected stories about all these different people throughout history, that there is one big story throughout the whole Bible that sort of wraps its arms around all those individual stories, and those individual stories are part of this bigger story, which brings us to the third truth, that the Bible's about God. That God is the main subject, the main person, the main character, the main actor in the story. That you've got all these different humans, and they're part of the story, but they're always only a part. And usually it's a small part. Like, out of 66 books in the Bible, you've got over a thousand chapters. Almost no individual human takes up more than 
12 or 15. David gets a little bit more than that in the Old Testament. But most humans, it's a very, very small amount. But God is there from start to finish. God's there all the way through. When it starts, God's the only one there. And when it finishes, God's doing everything that God's always promised he was going to do. And so this idea that this one big story about God that he's telling about himself so that we can know him more and encounter him on a spiritual level, all that comes together in the fact that God has made himself known in Jesus. The, the Bible's about God, but it's specifically that God has revealed himself most fully, most clearly, most completely in Jesus. And so if we keep those truths in mind, wherever we land in the Bible, whatever part of the Bible we're studying, those three truths help us understand what God is saying, not just in that part of the Bible, but how that part of the Bible fits with the whole Bible and really what God is saying to us from the whole Bible through the piece that we're in. It's all the time we're going to spend on that this morning. With those three truths, though, we've said, all right, if, if that is true, if we can keep seeing these things in the Bible, and I really believe we can, but, but if we had made these things up and we came to the Bible and the Bible's like, no, hey, that's not, these things aren't true then we would want to switch what we say here. Right? The Bible's the standard. The Bible's the authority. As long as the Bible confirms and affirms that these things are true, we'll hold on to them. If we study the Bible and it challenges or changes these, then they need to change. But so far, I feel like everywhere we look, we see, yes, this is, this is true about the Bible. It is a spiritual book. It is one big story. The whole thing's about God, and the pinnacle of all of it is Jesus, and God's revealing himself in Jesus. So, based on that, here's the way we try to approach the Bible together. First of all, if it's a spiritual book and we need the Spirit of God to do spiritual things that we can't do on our own, then we've got to depend on God. We have to depend on God for something that we can't do, so we pray. Every single week, we're praying together and saying, God, will you speak to us? Will you teach us? Will you open our eyes? By your Spirit, from your Word, do this work that only you can do. And then, if the whole thing's about God, we better be focused on God when we're reading. And so whatever text we're in, whatever passage, whatever book of the Bible, we're always asking this question, what does this teach about God? If that's the main thing that it's about, that better be the main thing that we focus on. And then, if it's a spiritual book, God doesn't just want us to walk away with a little bit more information in our head. He wants us to encounter him in such a way that he's changing our hearts, that he's doing a spiritual work inside of us, that if we are united to God through faith in Jesus and we're one with him and his spirit now lives in us, that his spirit is doing a deep, heart-changing work. And so we say, okay, we want our hearts to be changed by God. Not just that we say, what's this teach about God? Oh, I've got five new things I can say about God this week. No, okay, these five things are true about God, and God intends for who he is and the truths about him to impact me in such a way that he's changing my heart. He's making me more like him. He's stirring up inside of me the type of faith and trust and love that I should have for him, and I trust him more, and I love him more, and I worship him more. And so we want our hearts to be changed by God. And so on, on, on the tail end of saying, what's this teach about God? We say, okay, God, if this is who you are, what are you saying to my heart right now? How do you want to comfort me? What do you want to remind me of? How do you want to encourage me? How do you want to challenge me? How do you want to change me? What are the things that, that I've believed about you that are true, but I've kind of drifted and I've forgotten and I need you to remind me today? This is really who you are. Or what are the things about you that, that I've been off base and I've based them on my own opinions or my own thoughts or worldly wisdom or just the traditions of men, things I've been told over and over and I've thought those things are true but they don't really line up with what you said in your word. What things need to be changed today so that it matches what you've really said? And so we're just saying, God, speak to us. 
truths about yourself, but directly to us where you make us into who you want us to be. And then if that's really going to happen, we need grace from God to make that happen. It won't happen because I'm really persuasive or, or a really good communicator because I'm not. It won't happen because anybody else on the teaching team that gets up here and they're able to explain things really well or really convince you. It won't happen because we create some kind of moment in this service where we work you up into an emotional frenzy and you respond and then your life's changed forever. That's not what does it. The Spirit of God has to do a real work in your heart because He perseveres. He lasts. He changes you in a way that matters. And it's an ongoing, lifelong relationship with Him where you're learning to continually depend on Him and to continually trust Him, to continually rely on Him, that you wake up every day and you know you need Jesus as much today as you ever have, that that because of what He's teaching you about who you are without Him and who He is towards you, you know you need Him more today than you've ever realized that you needed Him before. And so you learn to look to God for His grace, this infinite, unending grace that He offers you in Jesus, both to cleanse you and make you right with Him, but also to empower you, to strengthen you, to give you what you need to be who He's making you to be. And so we come back again and we pray and we say, okay, God, this stuff that you've shown us, do that in us. You do it by your strength. Let us be connected to you and you be the source of everything that happens. Do that in us and then fill us up so much with your grace and your truth that it's flowing out of us to other people. That we really are being the church that you call us to be and we're making disciples all over the world. Wherever you have us, any moment of our day, any moment of our week, that we're making disciples because you are in us and you have filled us up in such a way that you're flowing out of us to others. And so that, that is our basic approach, that we would depend on God, focus on God, our hearts would be changed by God, and we would receive grace from God to really learn and be changed by what he's saying to us and share that with others. And so usually, when I get up here, we've got a, a passage, a chapter, something, I'll pray, I'll read that, I'll ask you, what does this teach us about God? Because one of the things we've tried to emphasize is that in your personal life, every day, God wants you to encounter him this way. That every single day when you spend time in his word and his prayer, in prayer, he has things to say to you. And that he wants you to be doing this with other people, helping other people encounter him in this way. That there is nothing magical about this moment and there's nothing magical about the person who stands up here. That it is the spirit and the word that builds the church. That the spirit of God and the word of God build the church of God. And yes, he speaks through people and he gifts people and he uses teachers, all that stuff. But it is not something that he is isolated to one person, one moment, one location a week. That is not how Jesus has built his church. That he has equipped this army of disciples to go out into the world and to be his people and to know him personally and intimately every moment of your day. That you would be knowing him this way one-on-one. Like feeding yourself spiritually as you encounter him in his word. And that you would then be feeding others as you encounter them wherever he brings them into your life. And then we would come back here together to encourage each other, to strengthen each other in a way to to reboot each week and to remind each other of the deepest truths of the gospel. And then we would carry those back out into the world again. And so when I ask you each week, what's this teach about God? It's because you can hear from God right now. The Spirit of God has things to say to you and to us as the gathered body, and it doesn't all depend on me. So I know we always do that. Here's what we're going to do different. I didn't pick anything for us to study this week. And so we're about to make a list. Um, I'm a list maker. Do you all, you all make lists? Like, especially like if I've got a lot of stuff stirring in my mind um, or a lot of things that are really important to me. And sometimes, even if I can't, like, 
just get the logical connections of all of them and write, like, how's all this fit together? I just start making a list. And I just write it all. That way I remember it all. I know it's all there. I may not know how it all fits together, but, but I know it's there. I know it's, okay, this is important to me. This is something I really want to say. And sometimes my lists get really, really long. We're going to make a list today. It can be as long as you want. Because in a few weeks, each of the guys on our teaching team, I texted them a couple weeks ago, and I asked them to start thinking about what's the most spiritually significant passage in your life, maybe the passage where God has impacted you the most, taught you the most, or maybe your favorite passage, and they're going to do a series where each of them comes up and teaches us out of kind of their, their personal, personal most significant passage in the Bible. So that could be what you shout out here in just a second. Maybe it's your favorite your most significant, most powerful. It could also be the one that you've got the biggest question about. Like the most confusion, I've never understood. That's fine. Like This could be a really fun thing. You may throw out something really, really hard and you'll get to watch me stand up and be like, I don't know. But here's why we're doing this, really. Because I want you to know that the most important, the most important things that happen when we come to God and his word don't depend on my preparation or somebody else's preparation. It doesn't depend on human knowledge. That we really believe the Spirit of God and the Word of God are sufficient for what needs to happen in the people of God. And so, I'll be honest with you, it does feel like getting up here like, with no net underneath the tightrope when I'm like, I don't even know what we're going to study today. Um, but that's a good thing for me, too. Like, it's good for me to say, God, they need you, not me. They need your words, not my words. They need, wherever you want to take us today, they need you to take us there and not me. And so, like, I, I don't want this to just be like a gimmick. I don't mean that. Like, I really want it to, to emphasize for you that in the moment in your life, when this conversation comes up at work, at lunch, at school, and you know, like you know that God has opened the door for a spiritual conversation. And you're like, well, I haven't prepared for this. I don't have all my answers ready. You don't need your preparation and your answers. You need the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And I want you to be bold enough that you would look at somebody and say, hey, I, I don't know if I've got all the answers for you, but I know that God does. Could we read the Bible and pray together and just see what it teaches us about God and how that speaks to the situation you're in right now? And, and that you would know that if in this moment God does that, that you would have the confidence that the same Spirit of God lives in you and goes with you wherever you go, all the time in your life. And the same Word of God is always true, all the time in your life. And that this would help, I, I hope, facilitate in us a boldness to really live this out. And in the exact same way, not just with others, but with yourself, that when you get up tomorrow morning and you decide to spend 15 minutes in the Word of God, that you would know that God is there to speak to you right then. You don't need me, you don't need us, you don't need anybody else in that moment. That the Spirit of God lives in you and He is with you and God has things to say to you from His Word and it is true right then. And you don't need preparation and you don't need all this education. You need the Spirit and the Word and you have them because God in His grace has given them to you. And so here's how we're going to try to do this today. By the way, that was reason number one, the main reason. But reason number two for doing it this way is I think this will be fun. So, you're going to give me passages. Emory's going to spin this wheel. And whatever it picks, it's what we're going to do. And here's reason number three, just in case you think this is like too not spiritual, I spiritualized it up for you a little bit. 
Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The wheel is spun by Emery, but in all seriousness, I, I do trust that God in his providence and sovereignty, he'll pick what we need to study today. So, I've given you plenty of intro, plenty of time to think. Let's make our list. If you got to pick, what would you study today? Any favorite, most confusing, thing you've most, like maybe we've been doing this for a couple of years now, and maybe you've been, I would really love to text through or study through this. This is your chance. Maybe. You've got a 1 in 12 chance. But See if you have God's favor. Ooh, okay. So end of Matthew 7. And by the way, my, uh, my pencil, my Apple pencil has like a little chink in it. So every time I hold it the wrong way and it doesn't write for a second, that's what's going on. You don't have to be distracted by that anymore. That's just the chink. All right, so Matthew 7, near the end, Lord, Lord. That is a hard one. That's just a chapter after where we were last week, though. All right, number two. Somebody else got one. Esther. Yeah, y'all know, I read all Ruth in a week. I'll read Esther. I'm not afraid. What else? Oh, wow. Adam came prepared. Mark 7, 1 through 13. All right. What else? Matthew 20, and specifically the workers in the vineyard. Can I give commentary on that? That's Christie's least favorite passage in the whole Bible. And so she has boldly offered that up as conviction for herself. It's the one where it doesn't matter how hard you work, everybody gets paid the same at the end. And the people that work the hardest are really angry. And the owner whose God says, that's none of your business, it's my money, I can do what I want with it. And just the humility of hey, God chooses what he does with his grace, and when it's grace, you've got no right. <laughs> if, it, if you want rights, you're in trouble. You can get your rights, but if you get what your rights are and what you deserve, you're in trouble. But if it's grace, you've got to let go of your rights. There, we did Matthew 20. Number five. <laughs> Matthew 5. 43 and 44, so the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Number six. Yeah. First Peter 4, 8 through 11. You'll have no idea how nervous you're making me right now. Number seven. Acts 2. All right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's like there's a total transformation in the disciples in Acts 2 that is some of the strongest evidence that we have for Christianity being real. Um, you know, like, and John's right. Like, I'll get to quote him so that you all don't get to be mad at me. He said the disciples sucked before Acts 2. And that's, like, they, they really are spiritual. They're not heroes throughout the Gospels. They don't get it. Um, 
But then something happens where these people who aren't heroes don't get it, like never have the right answers in the Gospels. The one time that they do have the right answer, when, when Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. Like it's so out of place that they would have the right answer. I mean, really think about what goes on here. Jesus looks at him, he's like, the only way you knew that is because God revealed it to you. Like, you've not gotten a single answer right yet. So I know the reason you got this one right is because God himself told you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have gotten that right either. Like, that's how far off they are. But then they turn into these people that we think of as these superheroes, these world changers, and it's not them. But there, there has to be an explanation for such a dramatic change. that they're, they're such cowards that they abandon Jesus in his moment of greatest need. And then they become so brave that they die just to preach about Jesus. So yeah, Acts 2 is a great one. What else? Philippians 4. I love Philippians. Two L's and one P? One L and two P's. You don't want to rely on my knowledge. Number nine. Luke 18.22. We're getting precise there. Number 10. You all are afraid to give me more than a verse, though, because you know how it goes. Number 10, anything else? James 2, did you say 14? 11? Ooh. Y'all know I can talk all day about a psalm. Number 12. All right, last one. Okay, John three sixteen, and we might do all of John 3 if we get that one. All right, that's 12. So, in a, like seriously right now, I do think this is fun. I think it's going to be fun. Um, but I also really do believe, and I've prayed this week, just so you know, that God would guide us to where he wants us to be. Where's this stick? Am I backwards? There. That he would guide us to where he wants us to be. Um, I've prayed that he would tell me what he wants me to say during this time. And also, just so you know, like, I don't take it lightly that we run long. I know I joke about it, but I prayed that he would tell me things he doesn't want me to say. And you can pray that for me too, that we would just focus on the things that he wants us to focus on this morning. I know because of the intro and getting started, we won't have as much time this week. I, don't, I haven't decided how many weeks we should do this. Like we'll spend some weeks and we may we keep this list or we can add, like you'll have time to think now throughout the week, other things you may want to add. And, and just for us as a body to be coming together and saying, hey, here's things we'd like to look at in the Bible Let's let God take us to them as he sees fit. And we may do this for a few weeks, let our other guys teach their series, and we may come back to this. Um, I, I really, I just want, we'll just pray about that and be sensitive, and then when it's time to jump back in a book, we'll do that. I've been thinking a lot about Job as, as a book that we may jump in together next time when we work through a book. Maybe it won't be, but that's kind of what I'm thinking right now. So we've got, we've got 12 right now. Emery, you want to come help? We've got a really good list. Um, I like the list. Emory's going to spin for us. Maybe some of you I'd like to spin another week and we'll have a chance. Let's see. Let's just, let's randomize it. Let's start it on five. All right? Spin it hard. I shouldn't have. Oh, three. Mark 7, 1 through 13. Adam Alm. The, come on down. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, did, I, did, 
I forgot to tell you, if your passage gets picked, you have to teach. All right. Give me a couple minutes here. Let's see if we can do this just so we can all see it together. Uh, Mark 7, 1 through 13. Let's just do all Mark 7. That way we've got the context if we need it. Oh, we didn't like that period, did it? This is going to be NIV. Um, We do ESV a lot on Sunday mornings. That's fine, too. Come on. There we go. I'll tell you what. I'll do 1 through 13 on the screen. I'll have the rest of it right here. You can talk amongst yourselves if you want to. This takes a minute to format this in a way that you can see it easily. Did I get it? No. Try it again. If you all know a faster way to do this, you're welcome to tell me. Is that big enough? And then we need the text to be white so you can see it better. And we need the black ground, background to be black. And then let's space that out just a little bit. All right, we good? Okay. That's where we are. Mark 7. And I know because I took a lot with the intro, if we don't actually have time, we might come back next week and spend more time right here, just depending on what God brings up today. Um, And then we'll pick back up the week after that. But in all seriousness, will you pray with me right now and ask God to say whatever it is that he wants to say to us or whatever it is that he's brought us to this passage right now. And it may be, listen, God is, I, I feel safe saying this because I think you just see it throughout the Bible in our lives. God's almost always doing more than one thing at a time. He's just, he's wise and he's infinite. And a lot of times he's doing a thousand things that we don't know and can't see. And so it's not just that I think he's going to speak to us as a church. I really do. I believe he has things to say to us together, united, gathered as a body this morning. But I really believe that he can speak to you and to you and to you, and to you, and to you, and to you, you, intimately this morning in different ways, out of the same truths. Now, if we start on the foundation of who he is, the the things that grow out of that are based on the truth of him. That's another reason why we got to start. Now, if we start on something else, the the things that you hear today and the application that grow out of that may not have anything to do with God at all because we haven't built them on him. But I really believe that he has things to say to us this morning. So we're going to pray. You can pray for me during this time, pray for you and everybody else in here for our hearts and for God to speak to us right now and teach us. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time right now. Please teach us by your spirit from your word as only you can. Father, we need to hear from you more than we need anything else in the world. Because if you have said it, it is true. And when you speak, you act. And when you promise, you fulfill. 
And so, Father, let us hear from you right now and cling to you and to your words. And the things that aren't you, Father, don't let us cling to them. Don't let us believe in or hope in things that are not from you, but you and you alone. And so I pray, Father, if there's opinions that we bring and worldly wisdom and human thinking and just traditions and and the way we've always done things or the way we've always thought, that, Father, that you would lay all that bare right now by the truth of your word. And that, that I pray that we would not shape or manipulate your word to fit what we already think and want, but that you would shape what we think and what we want by the truth of your word and you would pull us into line with you. So we need you to do what only you can do right now. We trust you to do it because of Jesus. And so we ask you to do it right now, confidently and boldly, coming to your throne of grace for grace and mercy at this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Mark 7. It is not in your notes. So you're going to have to look on the screen or your Bible or device. (laughs) The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He, Jesus, replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Now, I don't know what picture you have in your mind of Jesus. But it's always really good for me when he encounters really religious, self-righteous people to be reminded what he's like and just how fierce about the truth he is. Um, He is the most gracious person who's ever walked the face of the earth. He's also the most truthful person who's ever walked the face of the earth. Um, I'm excited to see what comes right here. What's that teach us about God? What stands out to you in those 13 verses? Ooh, okay. God 
desires, a relationship, and not, do you mind if I add the word empty right here? Empty ritual. Um, You can have rituals in your relationship if they're built on the heart of the relationship and taking you back to it, but when it's empty, mindless, and I think right here, like if you want to go back and just see the passage we end up in today, does it reemphasize the way we've been talking about the Bible already this morning? Like, what was the problem with all these spiritual people? It's a heart problem. They, they could do all the stuff on the outside, religiously, humanly. You could look at them, and they look like great religious people, and their hearts are far from God. But this spiritual work that we're talking about, that God would do something in their hearts and change their hearts and that they would learn to depend on God and not themselves, that their hearts would really be turned to God. Jesus is saying, that is the whole thing. This other stuff is worthless without that. that and he quotes Isaiah to them. He's like, you know the whole Old Testament, but none of it has really saturated your heart. That this is a spiritual book and it's intended for you to encounter God in a way that God changes your heart. And so God wants a real relationship with you. Where God has your heart, where your heart is turned toward him, where he's working in your heart. And, and, you know, and it's not that he has your heart perfectly immediately. I don't mean that. Because we know that this process of following Jesus and growing in holiness and becoming more like him, like it happens over time and however far you've come now that he builds on that and you grow more, but it's this I'm turned toward you, I know that I need you, I'm depending on you and, and it's real, the, the deal here, this was fake, on the outside they looked this way, but he calls them hypocrites more than once because the way they looked on the outside and who they were on the inside didn't match at all and so the, the real way that it's supposed to look is, okay, there are some things that are being produced on the outside because of what God's doing inside. You know, I am changing externally, but because, it's because of what he's doing internally. And then also, the stuff that isn't right yet, I don't cover it up with fake external behaviors. I confess that it's not right yet. Like, I'm honest that I'm not there. And I bring that out into the open, and I ask God to deal with that, and I ask the other people that God's bringing into my life to help me deal with it. So God wants a real relationship with you and not just empty ritual. Not just that you show up here every week or not just that you serve in this every week. Not just that you check off the way out. I read my Bible today. I prayed. I did what I was supposed to. I'm good to go. All that stuff is great when it's because of your relationship with God, when it's growing out of your relationship with God. All that stuff is awful when you're just a whitewashed tomb and all you're doing is covering up the dead stuff inside of you with stuff that looks good on the outside. You're, you're way better off exposing all the dead stuff inside of you. Be like, hey, I really am this awful. And then trusting grace to start changing you than you are to hide it and to deny that it's there and to pretend with everybody else and to learn to pretend with yourself and even to pretend with God. Real relationship. The real you with your real needs and your real faults and your real flaws. Really giving him your real heart and him working in you and changing you. What else? Other truths about God. God hates religious hypocrisy. S-C. S. Come on, pencil. There we go. God hates religious hypocrisy. And then the, John added there that Jesus is way harder 
on religious hypocrites. Then, and I'm just going, blatant sinners. <laughs> and it's like, Zacchaeus, everybody knows you're a thief and you steal. Can I come eat dinner with you? Sinful woman, everybody knows what you've done and where you got that perfume. Absolutely, you can wash my feet with it. Pharisees, you all read the Bible all the time, quote the Bible all the time. You spend all your time in the temple, the church. You give publicly. You pray publicly. <laughs> Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. <laughs> I mean, the, guy, the guy's coming. He thinks he's the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They think they're accusing Jesus here. You haven't taught your disciples to do what they're supposed to do. They don't follow our traditions. They're not as clean as they should be. They don't look like us. You know how offensive that is when they show up with their dirty hands in our presence and they touch the bowls that we're going to eat from. <laughs> I don't think Jesus feels very threatened by any of that. He says, you're not accusing me. Let me accuse you of what's really going on. Why is this? Why does God hate religious hypocrisy? Why is Jesus way harder on religious hypocrites than blatant sinners? One of the reasons is because we were created for God's glory, not our own. You know, that, that he is the sun of our solar system. And we are intended to all orbit around him, and we get our light and our warmth and our heat and our life from him. But what we've done, what sin does, is we put ourselves in that place. Me-centered, self-centered. And whether we realize it or not, we act like everything orbits around us. We see everything in relation to us. That is our natural state now, apart from the Spirit of God doing a work in us and changing us. That, that even in ways that we think are, are neutral or innocent, that just when you think about anything in your life, like your, your knee-jerk reaction is, how's that going to affect me? How's that impact me? What's that have to do with me? What am I supposed to do about that? And we think us first, us at the center. And so what happens is, if you're a really good, me-centered, self-centered person, a really religious, self-centered person, then you'll start doing all the good things that you think you're supposed to do. You're still doing what you're supposed to do, and it's about you, and you're the one doing it. It comes from your strength, but you're doing all this stuff you're supposed to do. And so when you do it and you look good, who gets the credit for that? You do. And so now here you are, center of the universe, taking all this glory for yourself when the fundamental reason you were created was to give glory to God. And this is why the, the, the rituals of your religion and all your good behaviors and your righteous acts can be filthy, rotten sin. Because if you do all this righteous stuff for your glory, you're sinning against God in that moment because the glory's His. You are stealing from God with your religion. And so that's the first reason why he hates it, because these people making themselves look good and getting glory for themselves that belongs to him, that they have missed the, like, the absolute fundamental foundation reason they've been created. But beyond that, that was kind of the religious part. Do the good stuff for your own glory. Now here's the hypocrisy part. It's all a lie! <laughs> they aren't that good! Their hearts aren't any better than anyone else's. Like it's fake, it's pretend, it's not real, and God despises it. Like God is the God of truth. He creates real things. 
And, and here they are faking. And, so now, now they're faking and pretending. They're living a lie. They're lying to themselves. They're lying to everybody else. And they're doing it in a way that makes themselves look good and gets glory for themselves. So they've turned away from God's glory and they've turned away from God's truth. And then on top of all that, God is the great giver. He loves his people. He has abundant riches of grace waiting to pour out on his people. But the people that receive that grace are the people who know they need it. Right? The people who in faith come and say, I'm empty and you're full and I need you to fill me up. I'm broken and you're the healer and I need you to fix me. I'm lost and you're the savior and I need you to redeem me. And so these religious people, their religion is the very thing that's getting in the way of them coming to God. It's the very thing that it's building up their pride. It's building up their self-reliance. And God longs for them to become the type of people who are humble and reliant on him. That he wants to shatter their pride. He wants to, them to see, this is who you are without me. And you're desperate and you're lost and you're needy. And you have to come to me that, that God has everything you need. And he's the only place you can find it. And so the absolute worst thing that could happen for these religious people is for them to be left in this place where they think they're okay and they think they're good enough and they think they're sufficient and they think they can do this without God. And so really, Jesus' harsh words right here are because he loves them. Like This is his grace to them. Where he's like, you're in the most dangerous place possible. You are completely blind to your need for God. And all I can do is try to tell you how blind you are. And then that's the, the big reason then why Jesus is so hard on. If you want a, like a, a passage that really connects well to this, John 9 um, has been really significant for me and, and some other people in my life the past few years. That's, and we studied it a while back. Who did John 9? Adam, did you do it? I think Adam did it uh, four months ago, back in September. You know, it's the man born blind. And he can't physically see, but when Jesus gives him his sight, eventually, spiritually, he realizes who Jesus is and puts his faith in Jesus. But then all the Pharisees and the religious leaders are really angry. I think they're angry because Jesus did it on a Sabbath. But they're really mad for breaking their rules and traditions. And they physically have been able to see the whole time, but spiritually still can't see who Jesus is. And you get to the end, and Jesus says, I came so that the blind might receive their sight, and those who see will become blind. He says, you know, if you were blind, I could help you. But because you think you can see, I can't do anything for you. And Jesus is saying, when you know that you're blind, when you know spiritually how empty you are, that's when I help you. That's when I open your eyes. That's when I make you see. But when you already think you can see, when you think you've got all the answers, and you won't come to Jesus, and you won't listen to Jesus, you're more blind than you've ever been. And so he's talking to these people in these terms. This is the biggest barrier. Your pride, your self-reliance, your good deeds are the biggest barrier keeping you from God, and they're a lie anyway. And so he's way harder on the religious hypocrites than blatant sinners because the blatant sinners, everybody knows. You're a sinner. You're broken. It's out in the open. You're scandalous. It's terrible. It's like you would really have to do some mental gymnastics if you're one of the blatant sinners, to convince yourself you're okay now. They know they're not okay. Now, that's not the end of the story. Some people give up there, but knowing you're not okay is the first step towards saying, I need Jesus. I can't fix me. Jesus can. I can't heal me. Jesus can. I'm not the answer. Jesus is. And so they're in this place where Jesus is saying, hey, okay, I know, I know that you know you're broken, the blatant sinners. I know you know you're broken. I know you're, you're discouraged. I know you're crushed. I know that you know that you've blown it. Now, here's what you need to know. 
it's okay. I don't write you off because of that. I don't cast you away. I'm not done with you. I came for you. I came for the people who've blown it. I came for the people who, who can't fix it. I came for the people who aren't enough. And so if you will believe that I can handle your mess, that's where the faith comes in. Because some of us are like, no, I'm, I'm too bad. I'm too far gone. There's no way that Jesus could deal with this. Or there's no way Jesus would want to deal with this. That's just not true. He can and he will and he does want to. And he's like, so if you will believe that I can deal with your mess and just give me your mess, you don't even try to fix it. Just give it to me and let me redeem it. And so that's where the blatant sinners, they need to know this open invitation of I will fix that. But the religious hypocrites, they need to know they're actually blatant sinners. And so he starts there with them. What else stands out to you? That's great. Yeah. So he keeps making a distinction here. Like if you really wanted to go back and study this this week, you'll notice these two phrases and and variations of them where he talks about your traditions versus the word of God or the commands of God. And I want you to see there again this idea of us saying we want to come to the Bible and the Bible's the authority. Because they had all this religious stuff. And they had all this religious stuff that in some way they had connected back to things that God had said in the Bible. And they had started building it on that, but it was like they were two degrees off. From the very beginning, it was about them and not about God. And over time, that two degrees turns into this. And so Jesus says, because you started with yourself, you know, with your own self-righteousness, your own rituals, your own traditions, and you didn't start on the Word of God. And you know, at first it seems like it's right here, like they're really close together. But you start building over here and you ended up way over here. Whereas if you start on the Word of God and this is your foundation, you keep coming back to it, then where you end up is where God wants you to be. And so he's drawing this contrast over and over and over between their traditions, you know, what they think, what they do, their rituals, their self-reliance, and what God has actually said. And so one of the interesting things he does is when he wants to expose their hearts, he goes right back to the Word of God. He says, hey, here's, here's what God actually says. Honor your father and your mother. There's something God says. Here's something else God says. Anyone who curses their father or mother is put to death. But here's what you've done. You come up with this, and, and look, oh, look how good and religious we make this sound. Just look how nasty our hearts are when it's about us and not about God. He's like, you come up with this tradition, you call this thing Corbin, which means devoted to God. So, my mom and dad are old and poor. They aren't, actually. This is in this. My mom and dad are here this morning, by the way. They picked a crazy Sunday to visit, didn't they? Like, like what do you do? Nothing. I let them pick the passage, and I let them tell us everything we need to say, and we go home. Um, so, this is not actually my mom and dad, but them. My mom and dad are old and poor health, can't take care of themselves anymore, and I am... Like, not just morally responsible, but actually, if you're a Jew, an Israelite, you've got the Old Testament, that you're responsible spiritually and religiously to provide for them and take care of them. Like, God has made it clear that you're supposed to do that. And they, they come back and say, oh, but see, I'm so, so righteous that I've devoted all this stuff to God. And I can't take from what I've devoted to God even for my parents. I know that they need it, but I've made a commitment to God. And so as much as it pains me to not give this to my parents and take care of my parents, I have to give it to God first. That sounds great, doesn't it? What's Jesus think about it? 
Because he says, you've based all that on your own traditions. This thing that you've invented to make yourself look good. Your own thoughts. And you've ignored clearly what God says in his word. That you have made yourself the authority instead of God. You've made your traditions the authority instead of God's word. In other words, we're right back to where we started, where you've made yourself the center, and you're not the center. God is the, God is the center in terms of all glory belonging to him, and God's the center in terms of he is the authority for everything in our lives and everything in the world. And so Jesus comes back and he says, all right, so here's your tradition. Here's why you would do that. Here's what the word of God actually says. How do they line up? Oh, they don't? Well, guess what that means for you, self-righteous, good-looking Pharisee? You are disobeying the Word of God. Let me expose your heart right here. If you think on the outside that you're doing all these great things and people should follow your example and be like you, but I know you on the inside. And here's how Jesus reveals it, and this is so good for us. He reveals their hearts by taking them back to the Word. This is why we come together every week. This is, this is why we would say this is central we want to read this, pray that God would speak to us from this, talk about this, and we want all of our truths to be grounded in this. But, I mean, it, it really is why I come over here in red and circle something because I want you to know I'm not saying it and you're not saying it. Like, if we can't show you where it comes from the Bible, it does not have the same authority. But if we can, then this is what God is saying to us. And we want him to use that to work in our hearts and to reveal in our hearts places where we don't line up with him. Places where we've made it sound really good and everybody buys it. <laughs> and everybody thinks we're better because we're doing that. And really it's us, us, us. What else stands out to you? The Bible's one continuous story. Why'd you say that today, Adam? Yeah, so Isaiah would have written this approximately seven or 800 years before this moment where Jesus encounters them, right? And, and also notice that the same issues that they had then in their hearts when Isaiah was prophesying are the same issues that the Pharisees have 800 years later, and guess what? It's the same issues that religious people have today 2,000 years later. Like at our core, our deepest problem is us and the sin in us. And our deepest need is for God and his gospel and his grace to change our hearts. And that never changes for anybody. Like I, I, Earlier I told you that I hope you would walk boldly into these situations where you feel like you're going in blind and somebody brings something up spur of the moment and you haven't prepared at all, but you trust that God will give you what you need in that moment. And that's true, I still want you to do this. But I also would tell you that God has given you the cheat sheet forever. Our problem, whatever the situation is, our problem is always our hearts. The sin in our hearts that makes us rely on us or look to us or look to other things that aren't God more than we look to God. That's always the problem. And Jesus is always the answer. Jesus is the only one who can fix your heart and Jesus is the only one who can fix my heart and Jesus is the only one who can fix anybody's heart that you ever talk to. And if you can just come to them and say, I know this. Like, you think it's this. If this didn't exist, you'd have the same problems in your heart that you do right now. It's not this. It's Jesus, and Jesus will speak to this. Jesus will heal this. Jesus will rescue you from this. Or Jesus will be for you what this can't be. But the Bible, yeah, it is one continuous story. You do see it right here. 
that Jesus doesn't have to come up with some new thing for, for the Pharisees here. He's like, you know what? The stuff that you memorize and write and quote to everybody all the time, here, let's go here. 750 years ago, Isaiah told you this. It's still true for you right now. Oh, and by the way, 1,500 years ago, Moses wrote this stuff. Let, let's use that to expose your heart right now. What else? And more truths about God, or is there something God's saying to your heart right now? Application for you or for us this morning, um, just these next five minutes or so. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, let's try to, yeah, let's see if we can uh, synthesize some of what we're seeing this morning. Because, so with the Pharisees, because they are trusting themselves so much, and their, their religion, and their rituals, and their rules. Like, do you realize how rigid you have to be when that's what you're doing? Like, my hope, my confidence, my righteousness, my validation, my justification is based on this stuff that I've set up, this system that I've accepted. And so if I do it perfectly, then I get the validation and the righteous justification I want. But if I slip up at any point... My identity's lost in that. I'm crushed in that. There, there is a slavery, a bondage to the legalism and the religious traditions of this, this is where I'll be right or wrong, so i got to get it right, like if that's what you're believing in. But with the disciples, we do see a freedom here, a freedom from the traditions of men, a freedom from external expectations, a freedom from pleasing man. And listen, the disciples, they've not gotten it all right yet, but they're with Jesus. Like they're close to Jesus, and they're starting to find something in Jesus that they could never find apart from Jesus. So I do think for us, there is this application of there is a lot of freedom when you're really following Jesus, when you're really with Jesus. And it will, it will rescue you from jumping through, like wasting so much time and energy jumping through hoops that don't matter. And all that time and energy now can be devoted to the things that actually matter. Like to prayer, to knowing God, to helping other people know God. To some of the things we start out with, these religious hypocrites, right? If they really think that the disciples are so bad, you know, their response to them is to judge them and condemn them for how bad they are. But that's not what Jesus does when people are bad, when they're far off. He goes to them. He encounters them. And so when you start to find freedom in Jesus, that your righteousness, your validation, your justification, the reason you're right with God is in Jesus, it frees you from being this religious hypocrite who has to huddle up inside a building and be holy and keep us away from the world so the world doesn't contaminate us. You don't have to worry about that when you know that Jesus is the one who's making you righteous. And he's taking you to encounter the people who don't know him and to help them know him. And so the freedom that comes from that, that you're not spending all this time dressing yourself up and making yourself look good. Like, Do you know, in some ways, just how much relief there is to just say, hey, this is me. Like, This is really me. And I'm not good enough. And I can't live up to your expectations. But Jesus is good enough. He's good enough for me, and he's good enough for you. And I'm not going to perform for you. 
But you and I can look to him together if you want to. And so the freedom that comes in that of, I don't answer to you, I answer to him. And you don't define me, he defines me. And I don't have to spend all my time, do I have every single thing right? Have I, have I got every cuticle exactly right before I eat this piece of meat? You don't have to worry about that. Am I following Jesus? Is my heart turned toward him? The places where he's worked in my heart, is, that, is there something genuine and authentic growing inside of me? And the places where I'm still struggling, am I bringing those to him and being honest about those? Like those aren't the things that I got to cover up with good behavior. Those are the things that I, there's this freedom to come to him and be like, you already know this about me. That's the other thing. Jesus already knew their hearts. They look better than anybody else in the world and Jesus knows how wretched they are. He's not deceived for a second. He knows Listen, he knows, he knows. He knows the stuff you don't want to admit to yourself. And he already loves you. He already loves you. And he's inviting you. He's saying, come, you're safe with me. Come be honest with me about it. Come bring it out into the light. Come, let me deal with it. Let me redeem it. Let me work inside of you. There's a freedom to not be perfect. There's a freedom to not look perfect. There's a freedom to not fake perfect when you're following Jesus instead of relying on yourself and your own rituals. What else? One more. God is patient and relational. And he spends time, and we're seeing this in Jesus in this passage, Jesus, God the Son. He spends time with those who are far from him. And two ways that you can be far from him, the explanation here was those who are far from him in the sense that they're dead, like they know they're far from him, and so they're desperate. And then those who are far from him in the sense that they don't even know they are. <laughs> and that's the farthest away you can be. But notice, he's still engaging them. He's still bringing truth. He, he's trying to shatter the pride and self-righteousness in their hearts to the point where they'll come broken and crumbled and then he can put them back together. Like that's what he's doing. He does, even the self-righteous hypocrites. Which, it's clear when you read the Gospels. They're like the worst of the worst in Jesus' economy. Not in ours. Like, we flip it. Like, the self-righteous hypocrites, they make the best church members if you want to build a really successful organization. Let's just say it out loud. You can pressure them. You can guilt them. You can manipulate them. Because they got to live up to your expectations. And so if you get a really good manipulative leader who will lean on people and who will make everything sound really spiritual and really good, you can get those people to perform. And Jesus is like, I don't want your performance. I don't want your effort. Jesus is basically, I don't want what you can do for me. I definitely don't want what you can do for you. Jesus wants you to know how much you need him. Jesus wants you to know how much you need him and what he will do for you and what he will give to you and what he will do in you. And so these are the people that are farthest from him in his world. And his world is the real world, right? 
We flip it all upside down. He sets it right. They're the farthest from him, and he's still engaging them. He's still talking to them. He's still teaching them. He's still, and also notice that his approach doesn't change. It's still, I'm going to bring the word of God to them to expose their hearts. That's always the answer for everybody. Whether they get it or not, how they respond or not, that's always the answer. And so, that Jesus, God, is patient and relational, and he spends time with those who are far from him, both those who are desperate and look desperate, and those who are desperate and pretend they aren't. With all of them, drawing them to himself, bringing them, showing them that he's the answer, that he has the answers for their hearts. Let's end here this morning. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. We need to evaluate what we're doing and why we're doing it. Is it relational or is it religious for me? Um, and and I, I would say this about everything in your life, that it's so easy for us to focus on the what. Like, here's what I'm doing. You know, if somebody were to ask you, what's your relationship with Jesus like right now? And you answer with a whole bunch of what's. Well, I, I go to church regularly. I read my Bible. I pray. I give regularly. I'm serving in this ministry. I'm trying to do this. A bunch of what's that you're doing. That's a bad sign, Pharisee. The what isn't nearly as important as the why. The why gets closer to our heart. Why and how. How being out of your own goodness, are you the source? Or out of God's grace, is he the source? How are you doing what you're doing? Him or you? And then the why for yourself, because you're desperate to justify yourself or make yourself look good or you're hungry for praise because it makes you feel better about yourself? Like, why? Or, for God's glory and more because he's living in you and changing you and he's producing this in you. And this is, this is who you're becoming because is the why him or is the why you? Is the why that it makes Jesus' name great? Or is the why that it makes your name greater, our name great? So the, the why and the how, much more important than just the what. And it is, it is important for us to get beyond just the appearances and the external. And to not show up and play a game where we're like, hey, I look good on the outside, you look good on the outside, pat you on the back, and we both feel good about ourselves. But to be honest about what's in here and, and the, the whys behind what we do. And the how, like how we're carrying it out. And say, I want God to be the reason, and I want God to be the source, and I want God to be the goal, and I want God to be the motivation. And it, I mean, it's depend on God, focus on God, heart changed by God, grace from God, that all of it would be God and not us. And that, that requires a constant death to who we naturally are now because of sin, because of the, the way that the whole world was flipped upside down when we turned away from God. That you have to die to all of that naturally. When Jesus is saying, take up your cross daily, like be crucified every single day, die to yourself every single day, and let God flip you right side, back up, and he becomes the center. He becomes your life. He becomes the source. He becomes the reason. And just moment by moment, you see that old self rising up, pray and ask him to crucify it. Pray and ask him to help you live by the Spirit in that moment. And so let's, let's wrap up right here with this. Yeah.
hey, hang on. This is not me. I'm not keeping you all over this week. All right? All you can go. Yeah. Yeah, what we just studied in Mark 7 is a great explanation of what's going on in Matthew 7, even though we didn't look at it today, where these people come to Jesus. Jesus is saying at the end of time, there's going to be people who stand before him and say, didn't I do all this stuff for you? Spectacular religious stuff that looked great. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. There was no relationship. You... What, and he says, depart from me, you evildoers. All your spectacular religious stuff you did was evil because you didn't do it out of relationship with Jesus. You didn't do it for Jesus. You did it to justify yourself. You were trusting your righteous acts and your deeds instead of trusting Jesus' righteousness and Jesus' gospel and Jesus' grace, instead of trusting that Jesus is the only one who can make you right with God. How can people be so blind and so deceived that they think they've done everything right and Jesus doesn't even know them? Because that's the way we all are naturally now. That is what we do apart from the grace of God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, opening our eyes and softening our hearts and showing us, hey, everything you do is about you. And that is the core of all sin. And Jesus has to rescue you from that and bring you out of that. And that is a great connection. Ken, thank you for making that for us. And so as we end at that point, here's the hope. Like if it's that desperate and we're that blind and it's that easy for us to turn even the best things on to ourselves... What are we going to do? In one sense, the answer is nothing. Stop doing and trust that Jesus has done it. You see, the Pharisees, they thought, if that bowl's dirty, if my hands are dirty, it'll make me dirty. And I can't be dirty! If, if I'm dirty, I'm hopeless. If I'm dirty, God won't have anything to do with me. And Jesus shows up and he says, number one, you're already dirty. You're desperately dirty and I love you dirty. And I love you so much dirty. This is what Jesus did. He said, I'll come and I'll get dirty for you. I'll let you rub your dirt all over me. And I'll take it to the grave with me. And when I get up clean, your dirt will stay there in the grave. And now you can eat with dirty hands and you can eat with dirty dishes because Jesus has made you clean. Not your soap and not your dishes. He's saying you can be right with God without that type of rule and that type of ritual. It never was going to make you right anyway, but now you're free from it. Now you're free to just follow Jesus. Now you're free to walk in before God and he says, how could you stand before me? How could you be accepted by me? How could you be clean? And you don't have to say, well, I tried really hard to wash my bowls. Do you know how much bowl washing we do in church? You walk before God. He says, how could you stand before me? How could you be accepted by me? How would you ever be clean? And you say, because Jesus got dirty for me. And Jesus could handle my dirt.
And he did. And he made me clean. Jesus is a better bowl washer than you. Jesus is a better heart washer than you. When Jesus makes you clean, you are clean. So don't, don't turn to empty rituals. Turn to Christ-filled rituals. Don't turn to empty traditions. Turn to traditions that are built on the truth of who Jesus is. Don't turn to your religious performance. Turn to Jesus and his perfect, eternal performance as God the Son and as the Savior who loves you and rescues you from everything you could never rescue yourself from. And so we're going to pray and we're going to ask him to drive that truth into our hearts. And we're going to sing, we're going to worship right now because that's true. Because he's already done it. We're going to thank him and we're going to praise him for it. And listen, during this time, when we've got people down here, if you need to pray with somebody, come and do that. If you just want to come and pray on your own. If there's stuff that God's doing in your heart right now, ways that he's speaking to you, dealing with you, and you want to talk to somebody else about it, this is the time for that. If you've never taken that very first step, say, I want to trust Jesus. Like, I want to start following Jesus for the rest of my life. We'd love to talk with you about that. Like, this isn't the only time for that, but this is a time for that, and you're welcome to come and talk to somebody during that time. So will you pray with me right now? Father, please do this as only you can. Please work in our hearts right now. Set us free from everything that isn't you, that's just us holding on to our own effort, our own abilities, our own traditions, our own rituals, whatever it is. Father, set us free from that. By your grace, pry our fingers open so that we would have open hands to actually receive your grace and then cling to you and you alone. I pray that our lives and this church will be built on faith alone, in Jesus alone, because of your grace alone. Please keep doing that in us. We trust you to do it. We ask you to do it even right now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us?